Uh, as we start the book of Revelation, I just want to ask us to consider that uh, sometimes it might be true that our perception or what we perceive or think that we see in the world around us is wrong. Sometimes our perceptions lie to us. Uh, for example, I really thought uh, that Nicole, now my wife, was really into me after our first date. My perception was wrong. She wasn't. She came around, but my perception was wrong. Uh, there's times when things seem really good, and they're not good. Like a big bag of jalapeno chips at midnight. It seems really good. It's, it's not really good. Uh, sometimes things that are bad, or sometimes things that uh, seem bad, are, are actually good for us. If you've ever uh, held a child while uh, the child gets uh, a needed shot uh, from a doctor, right? Uh, the, nothing on the child's face or the sound that the child makes says this is good. This is very, 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 very bad. But even though the child experiences it, it's painful, the child needs the shot. It's a good thing. And so uh, one of the things that's going to happen with the book of Revelation is we're going to invite the Lord to use his word to shape our perception of reality, recognizing that often our perceptions of what's going on around us are wrong. Often uh, our, our senses uh, can lie to us, and the outcome will be that we will run away from good things and we will cling to things that are bad for us. The book of Revelation is written to provide hope uh, to people who are suffering uh, through the unveiling of the plans and the purpose and the person of Jesus. Right? The book of Revelation is written to provide hope to people who are suffering primarily through the unveiling of the plans and the purpose and the person, and most of all, the person of Jesus. We want to let Revelation shape our reality so that when the road gets rocky in our own lives, we don't spiritually abandon ship. We're going to ask a question today. Why should we, why should God's people read, listen, and keep these words when it seems like evil is prospering, justice is dead, and even when pain hits close to home? The first eight verses form the introduction. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, Revelation, we're going to just start in chapter 1. I want to read the first couple of verses, uh, verses 1 and 2. And I want us to see that the Lord is going to establish the fact that it does not matter who an earthly ruler is. In John's audience, it does not matter. John, the author, in his audience, it does not matter who is the emperor of Rome. Jesus is still king. Revelation 1, 1 and 2. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Let's stop there for a moment. The revelation, uh, the word revelation more literally means an unveiling, right? To make things clearer, not make things muddier. Is primarily about Jesus. A misconception that we have when we think about Jesus uh, is that we often view him as someone who we really can't 
No, there is too great a distance between us. He is aloof. He is mysterious. He is distant when we need him most. We know that because uh, often our, our prayers are less relational and more transactional. Right? Less relational, less talking to a friend, less talking to someone uh, who is, has deep significance and meaning to us and, and more transactional. Fix this. Change this. Why did you allow this? Why didn't you stop this? Uh, we uh, are often transactional or maybe even worse, treating a prayer like uh, a genie uh, who grants us three wishes. Revelation should make the person, the work, and the ministry of Jesus more clear, not less clear. So if our study takes us into the details, if our study primarily takes us into the details and into the newspapers and into the history books, rather than driving us to the person of Jesus, we know we have gone off course in our study and in the aim and the intent of the book to provide hope to people who are suffering primarily through unveiling the person, the plans, and the purposes of Jesus. If John's audience is suffering, if John's audience wants the emperor to be overthrown, if John's audience wants social, religious, um, cultural autonomy, Jesus still being king means that, that even when culture has turned its back on God, even when that creates pain for God's people, God never leaves his own. You are never alone. No matter who is in power, Jesus is still king. And, and put yourself in the position of a first century Christian. Jesus died uh, decade after decade after decade has gone on. And wouldn't you maybe be inclined to wonder was that just a thing that happened and now it's done? The Lord, through Jesus, through angel to John, is reminding John's reader, Jesus is still king. Don't let your perception of what's going on around you cause you to doubt Jesus is still king. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written, for the time is near. Another misconception that we have is that, that following Jesus is kind of like um, eating canned asparagus. I don't know if you ate that when you grow up, and if you like it now, I apologize, but it's about the worst thing I can recall. Eating uh, when I was young, where the texture, right, is so bad that it's not worth uh, the nutritional value. And, and so sometimes we have this mindset with the Lord that, that what he's going to ask us to do, the places he's going to take us, are going to be so intolerable, so not at all what we want, that like that soft, squishy asparagus, it won't be worth the value. It won't be worth the benefits. John is clear. Blessed is the one who reads, who hears, who keeps what is written and again, if, if John's audience wants the Lord to intervene in a national, in a political, uh, in a religious, in all of these different ways, if that's how John's audience wants him to intervene, then we can read into this that, that John is reminding us that the path to blessing is not God intervening and fixing everything that's wrong in our world. 
Right? The path to blessing is not God intervening and undoing everything that is wrong right now in our city, in our county, in our country, in our world. The path to blessing is to cling to him, to know the God of the Bible, to hear, to read, and to obey. Let's keep going. Verses 4 through 8. John, to the seven churches, again, this is a continuing part of this introduction. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. There's going to be about 24 names of Jesus, at least 24 different names of Jesus uh, throughout uh, the book. I'll keep going. And from Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The message written to God's people, uh, seven real churches, seven churches in Asia, they kind of form a loop. So if you're traveling, you, you know, if you're the post office guy, you go to one and the other and then the other. And, and so these uh, letters that are, are coming uh, would be circular and would be read in different cities. And, and really collectively, they, they represent uh, all churches in all places. There's useful things uh, about these letters in this introduction to all these churches that will be very meaningful for us in the coming weeks and will really, I think, show us what spiritual revival is. So as we pray for revival in our country, as we ask the Lord to, to bring um, uh, light out of darkness to bring order out of uh, chaos. Uh, the letters to the seven churches that we'll get started with next week are, are really going to show us what that looks like, what this spiritual uh, revival look like. Um, as we see these names uh, of God, we see these names of Jesus, and we, we'll see them throughout the whole book. They're just going to be all over the place. Uh, a couple things that are going to uh, a couple of themes that are going to emerge from them. One theme uh, we're going to see is that uh, many of the names of Jesus uh, were names uh, of God in the Old Testament, and Daniel chapter 7 is a key place to look. So in your study this week, maybe read through Daniel chapter 7 and look at the names of God next to Ancient of Days, and then later when it gets to Jesus as the Son of Man or one like the Son of Man. Uh, and we're going to see that qualities attributes ascribed to God, names of God in the Old Testament are going to be ascribed, are going to be given to Jesus here in Revelation. And so John's audience is reminded that this Jesus who they have known, this Jesus who they've read about, this Jesus who has died, he is still king. He's not just still king. He is divine. He is God himself. They can count on that. They can rest in that. On their bumpy road, they can rely on that. Uh, how we respond to Jesus will make or break our life. Why? Look at verse 5. What did he do? Verse 6. To him who loves us and has, here it is, freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and to Father. To him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. We're reminded why Jesus came. What, is, what does Luke 19 tell us about why 
the Son of Man came. It says the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so as you look around and you read the news and you grow uh, disgusted with what you see, one of the things that we're reminded is, is that we live in a country that has unbelievable access to education and to resources and to opportunity. Our kids grow up and the, the whole world is their playground. They have unlimited potential as far as the kinds of things they can get excited about and do in life and in career and in travel and in, in experience. But what we're seeing is that all of those good things, what seems to be good, not actually that good as we watch our world, as we watch our country uh, turn on itself and devour itself. And so it's easy for us then to point the finger outside of us and say, God needs to come fix this. And what we mean is God needs to come fix them. And so I want us to see throughout the book of Revelation, Revelation, the call is going to be for God's people to repent of their sin, not just to point to the outside world and say, God, fix all of them, but to in our hearts, in our minds, uh, in our souls, say, God, Fix me, because haven't we been in the same place like Adam and Eve, right? They took the fruit, wanting to be like God, wanting to be God, and don't we do that every day? Don't we want to be like God? Don't we want to be God's, right? We want to call the shots in our life. We want to blaze our own trail, right? We want to be in charge, and we hate the oppressive rule of anyone or anything that gets in the way of of who we are and what we want to do and what we want to be about and the path that we want uh, to carve for ourselves. And and so we just see that in our resistance uh, to authority. We see that in the way that we tolerate sin, uh, lust, uh, materialism, uh, greed, right? In so many ways, uh, the concern uh, for God's church here in America is that maybe it looks too much like culture. And so the call in Revelation is going to be to church repent. Don't just point the finger outside and say, God, fix everything outside. God, fix me. And so we're reminded in Luke 19 why Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Who are the lost, right? It was all of us. Who, who are the lost? All of us, right? We, before Jesus, right, we were living, and maybe some here still are, uh, slaves to sin, buried in shame, uh, just used to being, to walking with uh, the weight of guilt uh, on our shoulders, hiding uh, who we are, hiding our lives, afraid, ashamed of where we've been, of what we've done, of who we've been, living as prisoners, awaiting execution, enslaved to our impulse. But the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And if we start Revelation, we're reminded that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's sort of called the, the gospel uh, on the ground, that Jesus saves sinners, right? That his perfect life, his perfect righteousness is a covering for our feeble attempts to be righteous. His perfect life was a worthy sacrifice for the execution that we deserve so that when we yield our lives to him, when we repent of our sin and begin to follow him, his righteousness gets credited to our account, our sin credited to his account, and we are made new. If that's the gospel on the ground, the gospel uh, in the air is the much broader, larger work that God, through the church, is actively pushing back the darkness in our world, is actively bringing good and bringing order out of chaos, and we await, we look forward to, and Revelation is going to help us do this, we anticipate Jesus' return and the completion of that work to push back and crush 
darkness and usher in his kingdom. The book of Revelation is kind of like um, a snapshot of what's coming so that we can get through the difficulty of today. A while back, we took our kids to a a water park, and we knew that they were going to hate the drive because it was too long, and they just don't like sitting next to each other (laughs) for that long. We knew that that was going to be hard, but what we did to get out in front of that was we showed them pictures of the water park. We showed them pictures of the water slide and said, do you want to do this one? Doesn't this look like fun? We wanted to show them where we were going, and we knew that if we could do that well, it would help them navigate the difficulty of the long journey. And so uh, don't we sometimes look around at life and like the kid in the back seat? Are we there yet? This is taking too long, and life has potholes. Life has detours, and life has traffic. Uh, Life has all of these things, and so the book of Revelation is going to show us, is going to remind us where we're going, and even more importantly, who's driving. So as we experience those detours, as we experience Portland traffic, as we experience potholes, right, we don't jump ship. It says we have been freed from sin. We are a kingdom of priests with access to God. Let's keep going in verse 9. So if the first half reminds us and reminds John's audience that in spite of everything they see around them, in spite of the fact that their senses, their perception is that, that evil is advancing, that wickedness is prospering, that justice is dead, that Jesus is still king, the second half is going to remind us that Jesus is still at work. Picking it up in verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos. This is like a 10-mile by 6-mile little island, I think, in the Aegean Sea on account of the word of God. That's why he was there. He says, I was there on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In other words, he's been exiled because of living faithfully, because of proclaiming Jesus, because of doing what Jesus asked him to do. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in the book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Okay, so what is our perception when we suffer? What is our perception when difficulty overcomes us? What is our perception when maybe even our suffering is related to our effort to try to be faithful, to try to live for the Lord, to try to reflect his glory, to try to be light in dark places. Isn't our our perception to feel like when we get that opposition, that God's work is stalled, that God's work can't go forward, that the forces that oppose it are greater than God's power to advance his cause. And so what do we see with John exiled on Patmos? No Wi-Fi, no iPad, no resources, nothing to use whatsoever. Lord says, write this down. John still has a pulse. The Lord still has a plan. Some of us feel like our spiritual prime has passed us by. Some of us feel like our choices in life, where we've been, what we've done, have created such an anchor, such a weight that our ability to be used by the Lord has passed us by. Kind of like uh, if your kid gets your phone and they just start plugging in passwords, what happens? It locks your phone. Some of us feel like we are locked out of God's will because of too many failed 
attempts. We see here, John still has a pulse, doesn't matter that he's exiled on an island, doesn't matter that he's been lost uh, by culture. Uh, some commentators think that John's life was kind of like labor camp. Others think it was just more a, a, an exile to a, a barren place that no one would want to be, that you'd be malnourished and uh, sleep in the cold. Uh, whatever it was, it wasn't good. John still has a pulse. God still has a plan. God calls him into work, gives him mission. He may have thought his opportunity to be used by the Lord, to know the Lord had passed him by, John. We see he still has a pulse. God still has a plan. He uses a phrase that I don't think we're going to like much. He says, partner in tribulation. Uh, some of you have studied what happened under Nero, what happened, ha- happened under Domitian. Some of you have studied the way Rome um, at times systematically attacked and killed Christians. Uh, you know that Nero uh, used Christians as human torches. Uh, you know that uh, Nero used Christians as uh, sport and entertainment. They were torn apart uh, by animals. So you know that it's ugly. You know that when John is writing these things, that those who are reading what he's writing have some of those experiences in their minds. John says, I'm a fellow partner in your tribulation. And so we, we just kind of have to come to terms early in the book of Revelation that suffering for living faithfully has been the norm from the very beginning for following the Lord's will. And certainly uh, Jesus says uh, a lot of the same thing in John 16:33. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Okay, So trouble doesn't mean that you have uh, missed church one too many Sundays. Trouble doesn't mean that your prayer life is just a tad bit too short. If you just add another two minutes a day, you'll be good. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. Matthew 10, 16. He's talking about his disciples that he's sending out. He said, I'm sending you out like sheep amongst wolves. First uh, John 3.13, he says, don't be surprised if the world hates you. In Acts 9.16, when Paul, uh, Saul is converted, given the new name Paul, um, the Lord tells uh, Ananias to go to him, and he says, Ananias, go. You're going to essentially give mission to this man who was killing and persecuting Christians. You're going to tell him his new job, that he's going to be my guy to go and present the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles. And that wording says... You will show him, or I will show him, how much he is going to suffer. Matthew 16, 24, following Jesus means taking up your cross. So we, we just have to see at the beginning of Revelation that from the beginning to the end, the experience of Christians in the world, living faithfully for Jesus, means opposition from the world. But we see that Jesus is still at work. It doesn't matter what culture or what ruler targets God's people. Jesus still rules. Jesus is still at work. Let's finish the chapter, verses 12 through 20. John says this, Then I turned 
to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in the furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars from his mouth. He held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, those that are to take place after this, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in your right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, and the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Some of you are saying, now, I knew it. I knew there was going to be weird stuff in this book. Uh, seven lampstands, seven stars, and there's a whole bunch of different uh, interpretations of what the stars are and, and the, the lampstands are. And so just a great pa- point in this chapter, in this first chapter, to just to pause and to remind us that There is plenty of room for us to disagree on things in the book of Revelation. There is lots and lots of room. I'm sure if we sat down uh, for 15 minutes and talked about details, we would likely come to something where we might disagree. Maybe it's on the date the book was written. Maybe it's on something like the stars, or it's going to be an image later. There's all sorts of things we can disagree with. And so I would want to say that uh, it's great uh, to disagree. It's great to discuss. It's great to dialogue. But we want to keep unity in mind, uh, this idea that a house divided cannot stand. And so Revelation should bring us together around our commonality and the person and the work of Jesus rather uh, than divide us about the details of our hope. And, and so if you find yourself in that position in over the course of the next uh, few months as we get in the book of Revelation, I would love to sit down uh, and have coffee. I would love to sit down and have breakfast. I would love to sit back in the office and talk about as many details as you would love to talk about. Uh, just know, feel free to disagree. Uh, that's not threatening to each other. There's lots to disagree with here. Uh, no matter what book you pick up to read about Revelation, you can pick one up that says almost the exact same, the exact opposite thing uh, of what you're reading. Plenty of people, very smart people who have written commentaries disagree. Uh, so this is one of these things where we're going to do our best to focus on the main thing, to keep the main thing, the main thing uh, the whole time. So even here in Revelation 1, where we see this image where it says one like uh, the Son of Man, which again, if you go back to Daniel 7, uh, is a reference to Jesus. Oh, one like the Son of Man is holding these lampstands and these stars, or he's in the center of them. Uh, and so what we see is that Jesus still rules, and Jesus is still at work. He's in the midst of, in the middle of holding the churches together. He's empowering the churches for faithful service. Uh, some might see in the burnished bronze uh, feet that the, the purity of that image being the aspect of Jesus' work that he purifies his church, makes it a purer reflection of him uh, for the world. Uh, some would see in the uh, priestly garb, it says a golden sash, uh, that that is Jesus doing what he talks about in Hebrews where he advocates for, he intercedes for his church. He goes to the Father uh, on our behalf. Might be inclined even to see in the 
description of his voice, right? Like rolling waves. And so if you've stood uh, on the sand at the ocean when the tide is high, when the waves are huge and heard them crashing, you just, you know the weight, you know the authority of that. And so we see Jesus here holding tightly to his people, right? We're reminded of what it says in the New Testament uh, that no one can snatch his own out of his hands, that our, that our position is secure, not because of anything great about us. When we get into the seven churches and the seven letters in the next few weeks, we're going to see some of them did some wonderful things, some of them not so much. Some of them looked a lot more like culture than they did like God's people. We still see Jesus holding fast to his own. Our position is secure because our position is based on what Jesus did, not something we have earned or are actively earning. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you feel even right now with fires, with COVID, with an election season, with new legislation every day that some is good and some is bad, uh, do you feel secure? Do you feel that? Like, do you feel like you're walking with the Lord hand in hand, right? When, when I take the kids to the store and I walk with them hand in hand, uh, you know, if we're walking on one side of traffic, I grab the kid, put him over here and hold this hand. So I'm out on the traffic side, right? I am his shield. I'm her, my daughter's shield when I'm when walking hand in hand. But what do kids usually like to do? Squirm all over the place and pull their hand out and go this way and go that way. They don't know that this car's brake lights are on and they're getting ready to back up. They don't see uh, all the things that as a father uh, I'm seeing. And so some of us, the response to revelation that the Lord is going to put on our hearts is going to be stop squirming. Stop trying to pull our hand away. Stop trying to go our own way to walk humbly with our God. For some of us, uh, the response is going to be a more broad, a more widespread repentance, right? To allow him to make us his own. Some of us don't have security because we're not part of God's family. Some of us don't have security because we've never repented and begun to follow him. So we don't know what it's like to have the spirit of God indwelling us. We don't know what it's like to know that our future is certain because our future isn't certain. And for some of us, maybe even today, the response that the Spirit will put on your heart will be to stop trying to make your own path. Stop trying to call the shots in life. To come to terms that what Jesus said about us is true, that there is no one righteous, that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the Son of Man, the good news is the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. We see seven churches who are not abandoned. We see seven churches who are not helpless. We see seven churches who are not um, kind of on the fringes out of Jesus' peripheral, right? He has his eye on them. He's holding them. They are strong. They are strengthened. It's his work, not theirs. We started asking the question, why should we listen? Why should we read and why should we obey what is written here? Verse 3 tells us there's a blessing for that. But even broader, Jesus is still the king. Jesus is still at work. 
as we pray for our country, as we pray for our land, as we see things in culture that encourage us, as we see things in culture uh, that disgust us, as we pray for revival, may we be people that start with ourselves first. And so we're going to slow the study of Revelation down. We're going to spend a week on each of the seven churches, next seven weeks. We're going to spend a week on each church's each church for the point of saying the revival that we want to see, the change that we want to have happen in our world starts here. Starts with us bowing our knees before the Father. Starts with our own repentance of sin. Starts with our own commitment to look like the people of God, not like culture. An underlying theme of the entire book of Revelation is that the way that God is going to change the world is not going to be by God's people taking up arms and storming buildings and overpowering opposition. The way that God is going to change his world is through his faithful people filled with his spirit who imitate, who model their lives after Jesus. Sacrificial service, laying our lives down. As we close this morning, ask the Lord, How is he calling you to lay your life down for his cause, for his purpose, even today? Uh, And let's close in prayer. Again, praying for our leaders, praying for those in our community, praying for change, all the while remembering that more than change in legislation, more than change in any aspect of politics or world governance, uh, that spiritual revival is what we and what our country needs most. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we pray for all those who are making tough decisions. Lord, we pray for President Trump, Governor Brown, Douglas County Commissioners, Lord, our mayor. Give these people wisdom to do what is good. For those in their jurisdiction, Lord, give them courage to advance causes good for humanity. Make them instruments of justice. Use them to push back darkness and bring in light. Use them to push back uh, chaos and bring order. Lord, may they be a voice for the voiceless, a barrier of protection for the weak. Lord, we ask for your good will to be done. And even more, we ask for spiritual revival first in our own hearts. Lord, open our eyes to our sin, not to bury us under the weight of it, but Lord, to lift our burdens as we discover your mercy and your forgiveness each day. Lord, may the awareness of that mercy and that forgiveness lead us to go and to do likewise, to go and sacrificially give our lives just as Jesus sacrificially, Lord, gave his life for us. Lord, we trust you. Help us to keep our eyes, Lord, on who's driving, who picked the destination, who's actively even right now building the destination. Lord, may what is to come help us get through the bumpy, busy, detour-filled, pothole-filled road, the journey, Lord, uh, of this life. We commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.